Well, good morning. That was the most pathetic good morning ever. So, we'll try it again. Good morning. Good morning. Much better. There we go. So glad you guys are here. Um, man, I love this weekend. If you're from Indiana, this weekend uh, is ingrained in you. And if you're not from Indiana, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but this whole month is about race weekend. And it leads up to the Indianapolis 500. And so I grew up going to the track and watching people uh, race. And we always it's, uh, <clears throat> watch them crash. And, and that was always exciting unless somebody really got hurt or killed. And then it was really depressing for a while. But, uh, and then the day after was Memorial Day. And we would always just have some time where we would remember um, whether we had somebody that we knew that made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. But it's just a great opportunity for us to acknowledge this. And it's freedom is not cheap. It is not cheap at all. It comes with the ultimate of costs. And I love the fact that freedom in Christ um, is given to us. And it is free for us, but don't think that it's free. Because it has the ultimate cost to it. And so, um, just for be remembering that this weekend. And um, not only the country that we live in, but also as believers in Christ. And so last week, we started a brand new series called Not a Fan, and I brought my book to show you, and then I left it uh, where I studied this morning. Uh, but there's a book that was written by Kyle Eidemann a few years back, and Kyle's a pastor in uh, Louisville, Kentucky at Southeast Christian Church, and it just kind of, you ever read something, it just kind of kicks you in the teeth? Or just kind of like, oh my goodness, that's, that's where I need to be, or that's what I need to do. And that was one of those things. And it's just this idea, are we a fan of God or are we a follower of Him? And that's something that all of us have to wrestle with. It's like a healthy tension. It's like, okay, where am I? Am I just a spectator? And the way we defined it was this, and a fan is an enthusiastic admirer, somebody who uh, cheers at the proper time to cheer, and we maybe even go to some of those fan days where we get autographs and we get to meet maybe our favorite players, but sometimes we do that, those kind of things in church. We applaud at the right time, we come on Sunday or occasionally Sunday, we'll go to a few special events, uh, but we become fans of God. And so the idea for us is to move into a direction where we're followers of Christ. And automatically the first question would be this, well, what's the difference between a fan and a follower? Well, Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, makes a statement that gives great insight to this. And most of you probably will not like it. And I'm one of those. It's hard. You have to wrestle with this. But this is what he says. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so if you're reading that and you're breaking it down, I simply put it, man, less of me and more of Christ. And the areas that are not godly in my life, man, I need to prune some stuff and I need to make sure that those areas are not affecting my spiritual life. And so in an essence, the way I rewrote it kind of was like this, to die to ourselves and become like Christ. That sounds pretty awful. To, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's hard. We don't want to die to ourselves. It goes against some of the things that is ingrained to, into us from culture and from Hollywood and other stuff. 
but I want to die to myself. It should be something that I desire. More of Christ in me, less of me. <clears throat> and so that's kind of the way we laid it out in this not a fan series. And so, and to move into today, and I don't normally pray at the beginning of a message, but to kind of help us, I do want to pray for God to just speak to us and for it not to be me, but for it to be him and for us to perceive it the way that he wants us to. And so if you guys will do me a favor, let's just pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the weather and uh, just a beautiful weekend that we have to be able to celebrate not only the freedom that we have in this country, but the freedom that we have in you. And so I pray that you'll just speak to us. I pray for our hearts to be open, for our minds to be open to you, that we will learn, and that we will be the church that you want us to be. And we ask this very much in your name. Amen. Well, I think one of the hardest lessons for me to learn at a young age, and I've watched my daughters uh, go through this as well, and if you guys, it's all, it's all going to kind of like, you go down memory lane, this is going to kind of kick in. But one of the hardest lessons that we have to learn is that not every invitation is given out to everyone. Do you remember that? Like in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, somebody's handing out invitations to their birthday party, and you see them doing it, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and then the last one is given out, and you're kind of like, I didn't seem to get one. Well, obviously, not every invitation was meant for everyone, and that's hard for us. A lot of students get the invite, but just not me, or maybe it was just not you, and maybe that happened to you, and you feel very excluded, like they, there was a reason they didn't choose you, they didn't want you to join them. And as a kid, you feel devastated, and then you get a little bit older, and it doesn't get much better, does it? You know, you get to high school, and now those parties mean a little bit more, and you didn't get the invite, and then you're like, okay, well, we become adults, and surely it's going to change a little bit. But has this ever happened, like, when you're, like, watching a commercial, or you see a sign, like a car dealership, and they say, hey, anyone can have one of our cars, anyone. It's for everybody. You can get a car here. But then you start looking at the fine print at the bottom of the screen or the paperwork that you're filling out, and you see that anyone really just means people that pass the credit check or that qualify. And you kind of like, man, the sign's a little misleading. And that happens. Or if you get Maybe a special deal for a cell phone, and some of our young people are like, man, I just really want a cell phone, and see you see this ad that says, you know, hey, this is a new deal, it's for anyone, only to be told that the discount only applies to a certain group of customers. For me growing up, the one that really kind of kicked into my side was the U.S. Open, uh, the golf tournament which is a, uh, it's one of the majors. I'm like, man, it is an open invite. But if I had showed up to the U.S. Open with my McGregor golf clubs, pretty sure they would have escorted me off the premises. Why? Well, it is an open, yes, but it means you need to qualify for the tournament. And so you go to a qualifying tournament. If you win that, you go to another qualifying tournament. You win that, then 
Maybe you'll get to go to the U.S. Open. So obviously it was not for me. And there's a lot of things in this life, uh, just things that maybe don't include you or not. Believe it or not, I never got an invitation to Harvard. They never called. And I would wait by the phone and be like, okay, this is it. Harvard's going to call. I'd go to the mailbox and wait for my invite. And I never got one. For some reason, I, I didn't qualify. I didn't make the cut. And there are things in this world where they don't want it to be for everyone. Like diamonds and silver and gold, they're very rare. And so they don't want everybody, if everybody was driving a Ferrari out in the road, it would seem less special. But it just seems like whenever people say anyone is welcome or anyone can cash in on this deal, they don't really mean anyone. That there's always a catch And because of this, I think we become skeptical when we even hear the phrase. So for instance, when Jesus is talking about people who can be followers of him, in the verse that we just read, in Luke 9.23, and he says this, he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, if anyone wants to come after me, So when making the invitation to potential followers, Jesus invites anyone. Anyone is welcome. But I think over the years, because we've gotten so much to the point where even when we hear Jesus say that, we automatically go back to first grade. Well, it wasn't for everyone. So it must not include me or my neighbor or the person down the road when anyone or everyone didn't always include you when you went to the car dealership and you heard it and you saw the ad or whatever it was when Jesus says it we might automatically think to ourselves okay what's the catch certainly there's a catch But the more you look at the life of Jesus and the encounters that he had, you will discover that there is no catch when it comes to the invitation. There's no catch. There's no small print. There's no hidden fees. It's all laid out in that verse that it's open to anyone. And when Jesus says anyone, the crowds would have done this. They would have looked at Jesus, then they would have looked at his disciples, his followers, and they would have come to the conclusion that he actually means anyone. Because these were not the guys that you would have normally thought about when it comes to following a rabbi teacher. And I'm going to explain that a little bit because rabbis, and Jesus is a rabbi, He's an unconventional homeless rabbi, which is very unique in itself. That's something that was not very uh, common. In fact, I'm pretty sure he was the only one. But he he was a teacher of God's word, and that's what rabbis were. They were teachers. And so in the Old Testament, they would be teachers of the Old Testament. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
And a lot of these leaders, a lot of these uh, religious people, even Jewish boys, would memorize the Torah. That's how important it was. And the, the rabbis had a special group of followers or disciples, and they were called Talmids. And so Talmids would be the disciples of that rabbi. It would be his class of students. And this is an incredibly exclusive club. And it was the thing. Like, if you were growing up in this culture, it was the thing that you were going to look forward to. It's something you were going to strive to do. It was very, it was looked highly on to be a Talmud. And so it's an exclusive club. And most people didn't end up as students of rabbis. They didn't. They, they, they just didn't make the cut. And so they would go into whatever trade they were raised in. And typically it was whatever that was passed down to them in their family. And so if my dad was a carpenter and I didn't make Talmud, then I would become a carpenter. If my dad was a fisherman and I didn't make Talmud, I would become a fisherman. And so that's kind of the way it all worked out. And we would go into whatever trade if we didn't make Talmud. But for those students wanting to become one of them, one of the followers, one of the disciples, one of the Talmuds, of a particular rabbi, they had to go through this application process that was crazy difficult. First, they would have a hefty, hefty prerequisite before even being considered. In today's version for us, it'd be the equivalent of like a GPA or your transcripts. And they would look at your GPA and your transcripts. Uh, and if you didn't have it, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't make the cut to get into an elite college or what, you know, maybe even a military academy. So in 1992, when I graduated from high school and wanted to go to Harvard, basically, they would have looked at my transcripts, my GPA, my ACT scores, my SAT scores, and they would have needed to be about near perfect, all right? And so what, 32? Is that the, the ACT test? Is it 32 or 36? I don't remember. Let's just be honest, I didn't get over 21. And back then, the SAT score was 1,600. I have friends that have gotten 1,600s. I never even came close to 1,600. And my GPA was less than perfect. But those are the kind of stats that you would have had to get to have to get into Harvard. Your pastor got so frustrated taking the, I believe, ACT scores because I had an allergy attack as I was taking it. I just tried to figure out how many words I could make on the Scantron sheet using the letters A, B, C, D, and E. I'm not kidding. I got so frustrated, so upset, and I learned that if you didn't know and you missed it, it didn't count against you. They only counted the right answers. So I'm like, I'm just making words. Scantron, here we go. But to be in a Talmud, the application and the process was crazy. Talmuds have to, they had to have impressive knowledge of Scripture. And a rabbi would quiz them. He would, he would quiz the prospective Talmud, asking them basically, recite a book. Or tell me how many times uh, Yahweh is mentioned in the book of Leviticus. They would get grilled over and over and over. 
and it was a painstaking, intense process. But rabbis had to be thorough because excellence of the student reflected on the excellence of the rabbi. Don't miss that. There's a reason that they wanted the best of the best because if I have the best of the best, it's going to make me as the rabbi look better. So that's what they wanted. If I have the best students, I'm looked at as the best rabbi. So understand how crazy it must have looked to people when Jesus hits the scene and starts selecting his Talmuds. He gets a bunch of ordinary, untrained men to join him. In fact, in Acts it says, ordinary, untrained men. And it's actually a Greek word called idiotes. I didn't have this in here, but idiotes is what it's referred to, which is where we get our word idiots. There's ordinary guys. So if you had seen this, you'd be like, man. And so word gets out about the new rabbi who was picking out followers at random, and people started to wonder what was going on. And they came to hear the incredible teacher named Jesus. But when they looked at his disciples, they had to have been a little bit confused. They must have shook their heads a little bit. Man, these are his students. These guys are nobodies. Those two over there, they're fishermen. Those over there, they're political potheads. They're they just hotheads, not potheads. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. That guy there... He's a tax collector. This had to have been terribly confusing. But when Jesus made the invitation and when people heard that anyone could come and learn from this incredible rabbi, hmm, do you ever wonder, I wonder if that would include me. I mean, if these guys got accepted, maybe it would even include me. And maybe that started to stir in their heads and people who had given up on the dream of learning from a rabbi a long time ago are now wondering if they would be welcome in this new rabbi's group. And slowly but surely, people started to come and they wanted to follow after the rabbi Jesus. And they realized when he said anyone, he meant it. And Jesus said that anyone was welcome. The crowds began to understand that he meant everyone was welcome. And it's true. Anyone means everyone. But there's a struggle here. We don't always buy into the idea that church should be for everyone. We kind of like church maybe the way it is. We usually prefer things not to change too much. And when we have that kind of attitude, which is a fan attitude, we want people to be the same, and same becomes the standard, and pretty soon standard becomes the qualification. I think Jesus knew that's how things would go, and I think Luke 9.23 reminds us that there shouldn't be those kind of standards in the church. See, my perception growing up was this. And it doesn't mean that the church, this was what their idea was, and it wasn't really what they were pushing. But my perception 
was that the invitation from Jesus into our church was strictly for straight, white, Republican, middle class, upper class, that didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't cuss, and dressed the part. In other words, you needed to look a certain way, you needed to sound a certain way, you needed to smell a certain way. And made it really funny for me is the longer I hung out with the church people, the more I realized that we all just acted a certain kind of way. I'm not sure if your experience was similar. And the only reason I I thought it was for white people was because that's just all I saw. I lived in a fairly white town and I lived in a very white church. And so for many years, I kind of resented the church. And I've shared this with you guys a lot. It's one of the reasons we wanted to plant this church, is that we wanted a church that everybody would get an invitation no matter what. Because I remember my, my experience and my perception was we didn't do a very good job of making everyone and anyone feel welcome and loved the way that I think Jesus would have loved them. It's like we expect people to get their stuff together, clean up their act, start looking, smelling, and acting the part, and then and only then would we be allowed to enter the doors of the church. And this contradicts Jesus' invitation so much. One example is found in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 9. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 9, because I think this is one of the best illustrations of Jesus' heart for people. But we're going to start in verse 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, Pharisees are the religious people, the religious people. When they saw this, they asked the the Talmuds, the disciples, why does your teacher, why does your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus hears everything. Keep that in mind at all times. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, at first glance, this may not look like a big deal to you, but you need to understand who Matthew really is. In certain uh, areas of the gospel, you'll also hear him referred to as Levi, which means this, sprung up from the Levites. And Levites were hardcore people for God. That's kind of the way, when I was a kid, I just learned Levites were hardcore for God, all right? They did a lot of things where people just needed to step up. And so as a Levite, Matthew would have grown up being expected to go into the God business. He would have been expected to go into the rabbi business, which means he would have needed to go to rabbi school, which means he needed to, you know, really strive to be a Talmud, And people probably would have seen him as a little boy saying, oh man, you're going to grow up and be like your father. You're going to be a preacher. You're going to be an elder in the church. You're going to do something extraordinary. 
And so he had all these expectations. And I don't know what it looked like. I can only speculate. But I just imagine somewhere down the line of Matthew growing up, he maybe got mixed in with some bad friendships. Maybe he got sidetracked by a girlfriend. Maybe he had a rebellious period in his life. Perhaps when he finally got to rabbi school, it was more difficult than he thought, and he decided, I'm just going to drop out. Or maybe he got kicked out. Maybe he had the understanding or thought, man, because I'm a Levite, I can just coast. But Matthew doesn't make the cut for some reason. And I don't know. But maybe he builds up resentment. Bitterness towards faith. Maybe he decides to just spite everyone. He's going to go into a profession that he knew everybody would just hate him. And that was the profession of a tax collector. The worst of the worst viewed by people. And Jesus says... Hey, you, follow me. Come on. So Jesus does away with the qualifications to follow him, the invitation. He got rid of the long list of prerequisites. He did away with the standard application process. And I think the church could learn from this. Because he invites Matthew. The kid was raised to do God's work, but somewhere down the line didn't make the cut. I have shared with you before, a lot of you are new, but one of the reasons that God's laid this so heavily on my heart was because of a situation that happened when I was in high school with my friend Rex. I had a friend Rex, he wasn't a believer, not a Christian in any sort of way, wasn't a church-going guy, had a big mohawk, and in the 80s, the mohawk, the jacket, and the cigarettes. That's just how I describe Rex. He didn't smell like a Christian or a church person. He didn't look like the church person. He didn't act like the church person. But I knew that Jesus loves all kinds of people, and so I kept inviting Rex to come to church. I invited him for over a year, and I said, Rex, will you just come one time to church? Thinking that if I can get him to church then the preacher is going to knock it out of the park and Rex is going to give his life to Jesus at the end of the service and all is good. So finally, to get me to shut up, Rex says, Jeff, I'll come to your church this Sunday. And sure enough, Rex got out of his car at church parking lot and I ran out to meet him. He's finishing his cigarette. He does this to get out of the car because he's got this big mohawk. <laughs> I was just so excited. I was. And so... Him and I walk up towards church, and our church looked pretty churchy. We walk in, and we're hanging out in the lobby. And in about five minutes, Rex looks at me, and he leans in, and he goes, Jeff, do you feel that? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, everybody is staring at me and then talking. Rex was right. Because I started looking around the room and I would look at these ladies in these little pockets and some couples over here and they would look at Rex and I would look at them talking and I could tell 
just by the demeanor. It wasn't a, we're so glad that that young man is here in our church. Rex turned around and walked out the door. And to this day, Rex doesn't know Jesus. And to my knowledge, has never walked back into a church. Why? Because we didn't do a very good job of loving Rex the way I believe Jesus would have loved Rex. Jesus wouldn't have paid attention to the cigarette smoke or the mohawk because he was wondering where Rex's heart was and that's the only thing that he would have been concerned about. And I did a terrible job because I had it in my head that the church was going to lead Rex to Jesus and God wants me to help lead him to Jesus. And I kind of gave up on Rex. We have to do a better job because when Jesus says anyone, he meant people like Rex. The other thing that Jesus does is when he says anyone, he gets rid of all the excuses that people will have. Anyone means no more excuses. When Jesus invites anyone to follow after him, he doesn't just break down the barriers that people have, but it's also them learning, okay, man, I had excuses for not accepting the invitation. Jesus gets rid of all the excuses that different people were hiding behind. So kind of like the Harvard scenario. You only have a bachelor's degree? Come on. Come on. It's okay. You only have a high school diploma? It's all good. GED? You dropped out in kindergarten? It's okay. It's okay. So now the tradesman had no excuse not to follow a rabbi. The dropout student can't complain about what happened back on that day when they decided to leave. Now the mother of four whoever it may be. No more excuses. And so I have to think, okay, what's our excuse? What's your excuse? Is it, oh, I'm too busy. I'll come to church, I'll be a fan for a little bit, but I'm too busy. I had to pick up another job or, you know, I have to focus on my marriage right now. I can't really commit to these things. The kids need our attention Others say it's because they have a past that they're not proud of or they have some baggage from addiction. We, I have a divorce in my background. I, have, you know, I, I filed for bankruptcy a while back and I'm just not proud of some of those things. And so we carry these excuses. And we use them for not stepping up and accepting the invitation. It's easy for us to sometimes to hide behind those excuses because who's going to argue with you? if they know that you've gone through a tragedy or you're just emotionally scarred. So imagine when Jesus looks around and he just points to each person. Says, you're invited. You're invited. You, 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 and at some point in time he points at you. And says, you're invited. 
And when you look around, you realize, dang, he invited everyone. He invited everyone. This is so different than Johnny's birthday party when I didn't get the invite. The unpopular kids, they got invited. Special needs kids, they got invited. Kids with glasses, kids with divorced parents, gay parents. Gosh, it's like he didn't even care about all of those things and he just wanted to invite everyone. And so there's no excuse because he got rid of them all because he said anyone and he meant it. So if you have a sexual past, okay, anyone. You spent time in prison, anyone. You're still in prison, anyone. You recently got divorced, anyone. You're a legalist, anyone. Alcoholic, anyone. Pothead, addict, hypocrite, anyone. But when we invite anyone, you got to be ready for what happens when we embrace that. Because the church is going to get a little messy. Going to get a little messy. Because if anyone can come into the church, that's all kinds of people. And all of a sudden the church gets filled up with a lot of unchurched people. And if we really accept anyone into our churches to follow after Christ, we'll be forced to deal with the unwritten codes. We'll be forced to get out of our comfort zones, rub shoulders with people from different backgrounds, different social circles, people who, when you look at their wardrobe, you're going to get confused and maybe even annoyed, people who are hard to tolerate and even harder to love. But followers are willing to break down those walls and trash the unwritten rules and welcome anyone into God's family right alongside of Jesus. Now, here's where some of us be like, okay, time out. We can't just let anyone into our church. We can't just let people show up and invite them into God's family and tolerate anything that they want. It's not biblical. And I would say you're right. You're right. It's not biblical. And I'm not saying that we tolerate or condone anything sinful. When a person wants to become a Christian, it is right to make sure that we all and they understand what God wants for their life. And what God's word allows and what it does not. But the invitation is for anyone. And so some people will be like, you know what? They have a past I don't approve of. They don't have a lifestyle that I approve of. We need to remember who the enemy is. And I got to say this clear. People are not the enemy. Satan is. We need to stop attacking each other and people outside the church that don't line up with the things that you believe. The enemy is Satan. When we start inviting people in, Understand, 
they're going to look different. But understand the transformation that God wants to do in their lives. And let me tell you, we're not all going to agree on the same thing, ever. But if you want to get mad, get mad at the enemy. And when we do this as followers, we're going to be more willing to sit down and hear stories of brokenness and sin and still welcome those people with open arms. And this next point is crucial in making sure that we all do that because both brand new Christians and longtime Christians, the one thing we have in common is that we should be moving towards a completely committed relationship with Jesus Christ. So in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And this is what Jesus says, and I just wish I could have been there to see this, because it's just so cool. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will help you fish for people. And in verse 20, here's what they did. It says, at once they left their nets, and they followed him. That was their livelihood. You know what? Time to go. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And get what they do in verse 22. And immediately they left the boat and their father. Peace. And they left the boat and the father, and they followed after Jesus. When Jesus makes his invitation... He welcomes anyone who would come after him. But he also makes clear that when you choose to follow him, you are giving up everything. You must be willing to give up everything to follow after him. And so, it's anyone, but I would say it's everything. I would say it's everything. When we choose to live our lives as a follower of Christ, it means picking up your cross, denying yourself, and following after him. Leaving a life of sin. You'll see that countless times where Jesus would meet people and he would heal them and he said, leave your life of sin. Sin no more. And pursue me. Pursue a life and a relationship with Jesus. And this is where Jesus separates fans from followers. And he would usually do something. He would say something where people are like, you could do that. You would think the statement, pick up your cross and follow after me, would probably... That's a space maker statement. If you accept the invitation, you need to understand that you have to be willing to fully embrace everything that goes into being a follower of Jesus Christ. See, when a Talmud was finally accepted into the rabbi school and is now a follower, a student of that rabbi, they had to do everything that the rabbi told them. Follow the rabbi wherever the rabbi went. They had to basically put everything else aside and say, okay, here we go. 
They would leave their homes, their jobs, whatever was holding them back, and they would go and follow the rabbi. Literally, they would follow the rabbi wherever they went. So if a rabbi decided, hey, I'm going to the supermarket today, that's where they went. His students would follow. I'm going to go to another town. I'm going to move to another town. Talmuds would follow the rabbi and go to the new town. If the rabbi needed to visit some sick people, some lepers, some invalids, students would follow. Now understand, the rabbi named Jesus, this would have cost even more. Because Rabbi Jesus lived his life a little different. He lived without a home. Which means his followers would live without a home. Jesus decided to go amongst the sinners, the shameful, his followers would follow. And if Jesus the rabbi decided not to flee from persecution and face it head on, that's what they were to do. And that's what Jesus offers. So understand, the greatest teacher who ever lived offers you a chance to become one of his students. And when he says anyone, he means everyone. So maybe you got cut early and you're like, man, that was a dream of mine. There's still a chance. But understand what being a follower of Jesus Christ looks like. And my prayer is that all of us take that step, myself included, to being a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We would transform this city. We would transform this state. If churches around the country got on board and we did this, our nation, eventually the world, because of Jesus. And that his followers decided to step up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for an open invitation. For an invitation that says, you know what? You may not smell like a church person or look like a church person or act or sound, all these things that we have in our minds of what it looks like. But he points and he says, you are welcome. The invitation is out there for all of us. So I pray that we'll be a church that loves everyone that walks in these doors, that we will, when we go outside of these walls of the church building, we will look at people the way that you do. We will see them as a person that needs you. We'll just show them what you look like. We'll show them what the love of Christ looks like. And we pray for transformation that will die to ourselves and become more and more like you. So I pray that for myself. I pray that for all of us. We ask this in your name. Amen.